Well, let's continue this morning. My message is God's goodness amazes me. And I think this morning's worship set really hopefully set you up for that. What a powerful time. And, you know, again, just, just receiving from God. I hope you're amazed by God's goodness in your life. I hope it still amazes you. I hope you never walk in here like, oh, man, it's, it's, I'm sure God's really pleased with this, but I'm here today. But I hope you're just walk in here just humble amazed that God loves you today. And so that's my message this morning, and and I'm going to take it from Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And remember, I just want to remind you, at the end of chapter 2, Paul is just, he's calling into question all their religious activities, and none of those things mattered when he, in light of God's presence. And I want to explain that here. Uh, But uh, let's go into Romans chapter 3. Paul says he's addressing these questions that they have. Verse 1 says, What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Were their unfaithfulness nullified God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak. Remember Paul, and I just mentioned it, he's, he's getting down to their lives, and he's trying to help them to understand, because they have put, it, they have put all of their value into their religious activity. They put all their energy into following rules. They put their life, they, they bet everything that the rules that they're following, that the ceremonies that they're instituting and, and going to, and the, the all the, and what they wear and what they eat. You've read the Old Testament. You know, they had laws for everything. What to wear, what not to wear, what to eat, what not to eat. And they were putting all of their security in these rules. And Paul wanted them to know this. It's not about your, your rules. Your rules will never save you. Your rules haven't saved you. Your ceremonies haven't saved you. Your ceremonies will never save you. So then they start to question, which are, these are some good questions. Well, then what's the point? What's the point of being circumcised? What's the point of following the Lord and the Sabbath day? What's the point uh, of doing any of this? What's the point for you being here at church? Because in our terminology, in our language today, I can tell you today that going to church doesn't save you. Singing songs to God doesn't place you in heaven. Reading your Bible every day, memorizing scriptures, none of those things will save you. So you have to ask the question, well, what's the point? Why am I here today? I could be golfing today. I could be getting my hair cut. I could be working in my yard if there's no point to that. And Paul, first of all, says this. First of all, he wanted them to know before he gets to the real issue. He wants them to know that there is value. There is value in these things. Now, it doesn't save you, but there's value in it. Coming to church today will not save you, but there is value in it. Singing songs and, and hearing talented people use their talents for God will not, will not put you into heaven, but it's beneficial. It's helpful today. And he wanted you to know that, that there's benefits, but it doesn't save you. If you're just relying on coming to church, you're just relying on being a good person and never getting in Never getting in trouble, never going to jail. If I never get going to jail, if I 
If I never cheat on my taxes, if I volunteer, if I do these good things, man, surely I'll make it into heaven. If you're counting on those things, it's not going to happen. Now, concerning church, Paul wanted to address this issue concerning, uh, for them, following the law and, and going through the ceremonies and festivals and, and, and living a life of an Israelite. He wanted to address this to this point about being faithful. Because all of their religious activities, all of their ceremonies were led by humans. Are humans always faithful? And Paul addresses this issue that if you're putting all of your faith upon these religious activities, well, guess what? Men fail. Religious leaders will fail. And Paul is bringing out this reality because in verse 4, Paul is quoting a verse from Psalm 51. Paul is bringing out an individual that they would all highly respect. Paul is bringing out somebody that you could really, you should be able to really count on. He was the man, the myth, he was the legend. He was the only man that had the title in the Old Testament that he was a man that sought after the heart of God. His name was David. Psalm 51 was from the life of David. Boy, wow, David, he had a legendary life. He, his life from the very beginning that he was introduced to Israel, his life was amazing. He served his family. He was faithful to his father. He was faithful to his, his brothers. He did whatever it took. And even on a night when the mighty prophet Samuel was coming over to his home, his father forgot him out in the, in the fields with the sheep. That's how faithful David was. He was always serving. He was always giving. He was faithful to his family. But that night, God made sure that David was invited to that party. And God made sure he was there. And while David was brought in at the very last uh, part of that party, he was anointed king of Israel. Oh, well, no wonder he was faithful. He was a man after his own. Even as a boy, he was after God's own heart. He was faithful to God. And God said, you are the man that's going to be the next king of Israel. And sure enough, as the mighty king, as a warrior for the Lord, and before he got there, he was a man that was faithful to King Saul by playing the harp for Saul because he was tormented. You see, Saul wasn't faithful to God. So he was tormented by an evil spirit. But David was faithful to the Lord. And so David would play his harp for Saul, and he would sing his that brought David into the into the army, into Israel's mighty kingdom, and he began to win wars for the nation of Israel, and he took on a mighty giant. While everybody else was being unfaithful to God, while everybody else didn't believe in the word of God, David believed. David believed that God would be with him. David didn't need a sword to believe in God Almighty. David had the word of God. He had the presence of God. David was faithful to take on the giant Goliath, and he won that battle. Eventually, you know, David's winning battles. He's gaining popularity. He's gaining clout. He's gaining the, the love of the army. Saul's still around. Even though David was anointed king of Israel, David would not take the kingdom from Saul. Why? Because David was faithful. 
He was faithful to King Saul. He wouldn't do that to his king. He was going to be faithful to Saul. He was, I mean, you just, again, you have to take in that information and really understand what's happening here. David was anointed king. And Saul was not being faithful to God. But David still honored, he still honored the king. Eventually, though, God took care of it. David was like, I'm going to let God work this out. And sure enough, God did work it out. And David became the king of Israel. And sure enough, he elevates Israel. He elevates Israel uh, to to being the world power, to being the greatest world power on the planet in that day and age. But can humans mess things up? People who have a heart for God mess things up. Can somebody who's written over a hundred worship songs, can they still fail? Yes. We know the answer to that question because David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, even though he wrote song after song, worshiping God, even though he was faithful, constantly faithful, and refining that a day, he wasn't faithful to God wasn't faithful to his army. The Bible says when they were supposed to go out to their army, he stayed back and he was unfaithful to his army. And so, while he was being unfaithful, you know the story. He saw Bathsheba and he wanted that. He took her for himself. He was not only unfaithful to God, he was unfaithful to one of his mighty men, Uriah, and he took Uriah's wife for himself. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. David knew he needed to cover up his sin because Bathsheba became pregnant. And so he knew and she knew they had to cover up the sin. He had to do his best to cover this up. And I want to tell you today, I just want to pause there, pause here just for a moment to remind you, keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God because we do mess up. We do fail God. Fail God. We are not perfect. And you need to make sure you're, you're made right with God. And in that moment, you recognize I've said something wrong, I've thought something wrong, I've done something wrong. You need to go to God and say, God, be merciful to me. Forgive me. Love me. Help me. Change me. David didn't do it that day. He didn't keep a short account with God. He didn't repent of that sin. So David did the unthinkable. He brought Uriah home and he thought, Okay, Uriah, you go home to his wife. But Uriah, well, he was a faithful soldier to David. He wouldn't go home to his wife. And so David did the unthinkable. He did the only thing in his mind that he could do. He took the life of Uriah. Can men mess things up? Can good spiritual leaders make mistakes? Yes. We've seen it before time and time again. And, you know, our news and our media in America pick up on those stories. They pick up when a, when a religious leader messes up. They pick up on that church that is falling apart, and they expose everything that happens to them. They pick up on that. And David did mess up. He greatly messed up. And Psalm 51 points out that not only did, did David mess up, but he was trying to hide his sin because somehow David thought he got away with it. He wasn't going to come clean. He wasn't going to confess his sin. He wasn't going to admit to Uriah or anybody else that he did something horrible. He was going to go with the story. But 
God was not going to let that happen. God will not be mocked. Our sins will find us out. Our sins will find us out. And if we don't deal with our sin, if we don't come clean to God, and thanks be to God, thanks be to Jesus, that we can go to Him. That's it. We can go to Him. You don't have to call the news. You don't have to call a meeting. You can go to God and say, God, forgive me. Wash me, cleanse me. So Psalm 51 was that revelation of, of David's sin. It was that realization that mighty men of faith can mess things up. They can fail. They can be unfaithful. But Paul wanted his readers to know that even this great leader, even David, who was a mighty man of faith, who had made Israel a strong nation and a powerful nation, even David was unfaithful. But Paul wanted his readers to know that even though David was unfaithful, God will never be unfaithful. God was always going to be faithful to his people. God's faithfulness cannot and will not end. God will always be faithful to us. He will always be merciful to us. Every day of our life, He will be faithful to you. He will love you. He will secure you. He will watch over you. His promises will be faithful to you. His goodness will be faithful to you. Even when you mess up. Even when you sin against Him. Even when you fail Him. Even when you're not perfect, He will be perfectly in love with you. And He'll take care of you. You know, this morning, I, I think about God's faithfulness in my life. I think about God's mercy in my life. And as I was preparing this, this message, I, I started thinking about how God was faithful to me, even though I didn't even know He was being faithful to me. I remember a time in my life, I was five years old. And we didn't go on family vacations, but we went to visit family. That was our family vacation, Christmas Day. And we had a family in Texas all the way down south in what they call the valley in Texas, in Mission, Texas. It's just, in, you know, about 45 minutes from the border of Mexico. And um, so that's where we would go many times to go to my dad's family, and we would go to Texas. And I remember my mom, uh, and we would drive in our car, and my mom would say, we're in Texas, and we, and we would get all excited, yes. And then she said, but we got 10 more hours to drive. <laughs> you know how big Texas is, and so... But the one thing that would happen is many times my dad, who did all the driving, would want to stop and restrain the whole car. And we would love that because that meant we could go swimming. And I, and I remember this uh, one time, my brother and sister, so that I was five years old, my, my brother was ten, my sister was nine, and they had just had swimming lessons. And so sure enough, we get to the hotel, and uh, because my brother and sister just had swimming lessons, they, they let just the three of us go down to the swimming pool. And I remember being down there, and I remember, you know, in my mind, I remember seeing somebody with a puppet down in the deep end. And I knew I couldn't swim, and, you know, I, I wasn't a very daring kid at all. And so I was slowly moving towards that direction, and eventually they left. And it was just the three of us in the swimming pool. And I remember that I just kept going that direction. For whatever reason, I don't know why, I figured, well, I'm, I'm going that direction, I'm just going to keep going that direction. And as most pools are, you know how they are, uh, I reached the point where you slip in. And sure enough, I slipped and I, I went down that hole. My brother, who was 10 years old, obviously tried to say to me, but he was too young, I was too frantic. 
he couldn't pull me up. All of a sudden, like I said, we were all alone, and all of a sudden, my hand pulls down, grabs the hand, pulls me up. And I was, the next memory that we have is because we wanted to, you know, you're just so frantic at what happened. We obviously went straight to the, my, to the uh, hotel room, and we're telling my mom and dad, you know, we're sharing what happened. And my mom and dad obviously were very grateful. And so we, they said, we, we need to take this to him. We need to go find him. And we went around the hotel. We went searching for him, and we could never find him. And we've rehearsed this story so many times as a family. We always come to the, the conclusion, God either sent an angel packing away for saving that day, or he sent an angel, some guy who was just walking by, just at the right time. He saw a kid drowning and pulled me up. And I realized that day that God was always going to be faithful. He was always going to watch over me. When nobody else could save me, he was going to save me. When nobody else could help me, he was going to help me. When nobody else knew what I was going through, He knew what I was going through. When nobody else had the answer for me, God was going to have an answer for me. I love the Lord with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. He's my Savior. He has saved me physically. He saved me spiritually. And every morning that I wake up, I'm reminded of His faithfulness, His goodness, and of His mercy. And I pray every day that you wake up, you recognize and you acknowledge that God has been faithful to you, that He's watched over you, He's been with you. Maybe you don't know, you, maybe you don't have a story of when God saved your life, but I guarantee you there's many times you have. You just don't know. You just don't know He's kept you from an appointment or He's kept you off the road when maybe a car was going to hit you or maybe, you know, as a kid, you didn't realize how many times God has saved you. And yet I know in this room there are many stories that many of you would say, no, I, I know God has saved my life. God has been faithful to us. And Paul was helping these individuals to see that it was God's faithfulness, not man's faithfulness, that saved him. And yet I believe that there were still some Jewish believers who still thought, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I've been faithful to God. I've been faithful to keep His commands. I've been faithful to keep His laws. I've been in church every week. I've been faithful to serve in our church. I've been faithful. No, you don't understand. I'm a good person. I've never been somebody who's ever broken the law. I've never been a bad person. I've passed every test. I, I've, I've passed tests. I've passed every one of them with flying colors. I'm a good person. I want you to know today, and Paul wanted his readers to know, that that may be true. You may be a really good person. You may be somebody that, uh, that you know, you haven't broken the law. Nobody's ever accused you or wanted to. And back in those days, they would stone somebody if you committed adultery. Maybe you've never, you've, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never, you've never murdered somebody. In that day, it was an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You killed somebody, you were killed. Maybe you would, you never killed somebody. God, Paul wanted his readers to know this. He gets down to the point. He gets down to the place, and he gets to finally in, in verse ten of, of Romans chapter three. He gets to this place, and he wants everybody to know this. Maybe you weren't like David. Maybe you have been faithful to your spouse. Maybe you have. Maybe you've never killed anybody like David. He wanted them to know in verse ten of Romans chapter three: there is no one 
There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God. Before their eyes. Before anybody here begins to even think, no, 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 you don't understand what I've done in my life. I've done a lot of good. You've got to know I've got a clean record. You've got to know I've never been pulled over before. You've got to know I've, I've never hurt anybody's feelings. You've got to know I've been a good person. I even know from Romans chapter 3 today, there is no one who is righteous. There is nobody who is perfect. There is nobody who hasn't hurt somebody. There is nobody. Paul was getting directives, and now he wanted to know, in case you are not getting it, in case you are still relying on your good works, in case you thought that your pursuit of divine blessing was helping you, he wanted them to know that none of that equates to a badge of being a good person. All the scripture memorized, all the songs, songs of praise that came out of your mouth does not place you into heaven. These religious followers of Yahweh misled themselves because they thought just because God chose us, and He did, God did chose the Israelites. He chose them out of all the nations. He did chose them. He chose them out of everybody else. And somehow they thought, well, we must be special. We've been chosen out of all of the peoples of the world. And, and an Israelite, when they looked in the mirror, they saw God's glory, and, his, and they were not filled with humility. We're chosen by God. We're loved by God. We have been given the roadmap to coming into God's presence. We have the laws of God. We are a special people. So they look down on other people. They easily look down on others. They would look down on their own people. They would look down on their own friends. But Paul was making sure that every believer had the same realization that he had on the road to Damascus. Paul, when he met Jesus, he realized there was nothing good in him. He realized all the laws and all the ceremonies and everything that he was doing, everything that he was faithful in, did not compare to the glory of God. His mercy and His grace, in the light of God's presence and in His love, and in there is that there is there is nothing, there is no one who is righteous. When you compare your life to God, and it may be true today, you may be a really good person. You may have a lot of your work put on the wall, saying this is how it's done, this is what you need to do, this is what you, this is how you you do this. You may be there might be a I know there is a lot of good people in here that have done a lot of good things. But we have to know this verse, and many of you know this verse, Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, and we all fall short. None of us make it. None of us, no matter how good we've been, no matter how faithful we've been, for how, forever, how long it's been, we still fall short. 
bottom line here is that there's no appeals courts. There's, there's the gavel has fallen. The door is closed. The judge has gone home. We have sinned and we have fallen short of his glory. I can't do anything to reach God's goodness. That puts me on my knees. That brings me to my knees every day. I wake up and I realize I've fallen short. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing good inside of me. I don't care if I keep serving as a pastor to the day I die. I can never wake up in the morning and say, nothing good in me. This is the good news, that I am not good, but God is good, and He pours His goodness in me. It's the good news that we wake up to every day. I'm not good enough. I'm not doing anything good. I'm just doing what I can do because I've received God's goodness in my life, and I can't help but being doing good things for God. Here's the point. When I recognize that there is nothing good in me, I become super grateful when I receive God's goodness. When I recognize, when, when I realize that I'm really the poorest of the poor, I become generous when I receive the amazing grace of God. Do you realize that? We're the poorest of the poor. We are. I don't care what size house you have. I don't care how many cars you own. I don't care well, you know, what you have in your life. We're the poorest of the poor our sin. And every day I wake up, every day you wake up, we need to say thank you, God. Because I'm the poorest of the poor, but yet you pour out your grace in my life. There's no, there's, there's no room for pride. There's no room for sticking out your chest and saying, I went to church today. I read my Bible today. God, I deserve your blessings. God, I've earned it today. And this is how believers in Christ go through battles. This is how we're able to declare like Job declared, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how you're able to make that comment. That's how you're able to live out that, that verse is because we didn't deserve it anyway. So if God gives it to us, we say, thank you, Lord. If God takes it from us, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're good to me. Thank you that you're merciful to me. I, re- I remember, uh, you know, just right prior to Tara getting the, the news of her breast cancer, I remember I had just preached this sermon, and I just shared this point that I said, if anything else, if everything else in life is going wrong in your life, you can still wake up and still thank God because He's good. And I remember, you know, and then just a few weeks after that, Tara got that news, and I, I reminded myself, even if you get that news, even if life doesn't go your way, you can still thank God. You can still worship Him. You can still thank Him. Because I realize there's nothing good in me. And I realize more than that, that this life that we live is, is not the end. This isn't the end. Where, that God is preparing a place for me. Jesus is preparing a place for me. And where I am, I will be also. So I'm just passing through. And I realize that I'm really the poorest of the poor. Realize and you acknowledge that I'm at the bottom of the barrel. And when God lifts you up, 
you're ready to give your life to Him. You're ready to serve Him no matter what you go through, no matter what you face. When you take the blinders off and you see that I am not good, God is good to me. You realize that. You realize that God loves you and He cares for you. And as you continue to read Romans chapter 3, that God has saved you. He's been merciful to you. God has been faithful to you. And He is worthy of all praise. We invite the worship team to, to come back. We want to worship the Lord and thank Him and praise Him and give Him the praise that He is worthy of to declare that God is good. That's why I love, and that's, I love worshiping God of expression. That's why I raise my hands, because I'm just thanking God. I'm just worshiping Him. I believe God's given us the breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The Bible speaks about clapping our hands. We've been given, I, I can clap my hands because God has given them to me. I can stand on my feet. I can use my mouth to praise Him, because He is good to me. And I don't care, you know, what uh, people think. Uh, I just want to worship the Lord. I just want to praise Him. I just want to love Him. I'm not ashamed to praise Him. I'm not ashamed to worship Him. I, he has been so good to me. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. There's many times as I preach a sermon, I never, ever walk up to them. But if you ever think I do, please make sure and ask me, hey, you really think today you earned up today to be up there? No, I never think I earned or deserve to be up there. I know I'm up here because of God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace. You stand with us this morning. Do you realize that today? You're here because of God's faithfulness. You're here because of God's grace. You're here because of His love and because of His mercy. Let's sing this. Older song, powerful song, as we re recognize that we owe it all to Jesus. We owe it all to Him. Let's worship Him.